Evolution, Revolution. A discussion on the changing shape of us. This podcast series has grown out of some articles I've written, which you can find in the show notes. Lifeline Church is undergoing a transition. This is a critical stage for those who have grown up in Lifeline or joined along the journey to bring their unique contribution to the table, because those that have led for the last 40 years won't be leading for the next 40. As we continue the journey, we need to know what we need to carry with us, what can be left behind, and what needs to be developed. I hope this podcast, along with my articles, might provoke and inspire you to offer what you carry. Okay, fantastic. So I am here. I am here. I have announced. My name is Nick and I am here. I am here with Jamie. And so hello, Jamie. Hello. Yes, and we are here for the next installment of this podcast series where we're looking through some articles that you've been written, written, wow, some articles that you've been writing. And today we're looking at an article that you've written about friendship. So let's get straight in. What would you say the difference is between worldly friendship and biblical friendship? Um, there's probably a number of differences, but there's a couple that I pick up in the article that I was writing, which is really around reciprocation and compatibility. And so there's kind of a, an attitude within uh, our cultural understanding of friendship that um, we need to be compatible. We need to have similar likes. We need to be from similar neighborhoods. Um, if you're like me, you're like me. And what we see in the Bible is idea that we don't have to be like each other. If you look at the early church, they were people from all different backgrounds, different countries, a real variety of people that were coming together, but yet finding actual friendship. And another th thing is the, the reciprocal um, reciprocation um so i'll give to you if you give back to me and the the mentality behind that is this kind of um almost friendship build built on an assumed lack that if i give of what i've got to you i'm depleted if you don't reciprocate give back to me but what we see in the bible is the idea of a generous God who is our supply and our source that means that I can give generously of myself. I don't need you to re 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 replenish me because God replenishes me. So therefore, anything that I'm asking of you is for your good, not for my need. Okay, cool. That's really helpful. So you quote a biblical scholar called D.A. Carson in your article, and he makes the point that the New Testament is full of commands and encouragements to love one another. And the reason for that is because the church actually isn't made up of people who would be natural friends, rather, if anything, natural enemies. What does he mean by that? And how do we see this idea of uh, natural enemies showing themselves as friends in the New Testament? Yeah. I, when you look at who was in Jesus' crew, his disciples, you've got Simon the Zealot, 
So the, the zealots were the radicals, they were the freedom fighters that would live in the in up in the mountains north of the Sea of Galilee and they would pop down and attack Roman soldiers, the occupiers, whenever they, they could do its kind of guerrilla warfare insurgency. Um, so you had Simon the Zealot as one of Jesus' followers, and then you also had Matthew the tax collector as one of Jesus' followers. Now, the tax collectors were Jews that were recruited by the Roman occupiers, and the their role was to extract the tax out of the occupied people, which was, the tax was fairly crippling, um, and to actually have to give that to to a conquered, conquering force is really rubbing, rubbing your nose in it. So the collaborator of Matthew and the, the freedom fighter of Simon, they would never have been friends. They would never have rubbed shoulders. The only thing that brought them together was the fact that Jesus was in the center of the crew. Now, you see this continue even after Jesus has left the earth. With, if you look at the first church in Philippi. So when you follow the story in Acts, you see the first person that Paul meets is a woman called Lydia. She's kind of well-to-do. She's a seller of, of purple, which would have meant that she was quite a successful business lady. Um, the next person we see is this demonized slave girl who um, Paul cast out the demon. Um, and then the jailer who was actually keeping watch over Paul while he was in prison. So at the end of his time in in Philippi, Paul says it says Paul gathered those together. It's like where would you find those three people together? The the gospel does something to become a commonality between people that have nothing else, and it actually becomes the most important commonality okay i'd love to be known as like like simon the zealot what a nickname do you know what i mean like i don't know sounds like it could be a wrestler um, <laughs> so um in the book of acts i think in acts 2 and acts 4 maybe in other places as well there's this phrase of the believers the early church having everything in common which just sounds magnificent. Mm -hmm. What do you think that meant? And we're talking, at that point, we're talking about a few thousand people, I think, right? 3,000 people having everything in common. Yeah. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to imagine what that would, would be like. I mean, the, the passages uh, refer to possessions and the idea of not having, having possessions in common um and it wasn't that no one like it wasn't like a communist thing of no one owns any, anything it's all owned by some higher authority i mean it was but it wasn't so the it, people still had possessions but they didn't consider them their own and so it was almost like god has the right to anything and can direct it in any in any direction at any point. I remember a story from Joyce Mayer. She, she talked about once um, praying for, for a woman and 
said, God, what, what can I do for this woman? And she looks up and hanging in her wardrobe is this, this red dress. And she thought, oh, that's a strange thought, pushes out of her mind. Then later on, I was praying for the same woman and the, the image of the red dress came back up again. And she thought, but I've, I've not even had a chance to wear that dress. And then it dawned on her, it wasn't for you. That red dress was never yours. You had it in order to be able to give it. And that's such a radical way of thinking about the things that we have that I'm looking after us, I'm steward in it, but this might I might be a channel where the things just pass straight through me without me touching it. And to live like that, um, there was a band when I was growing up called Papa Roach. They they had a line if if you're something along the lines of your possessions possess you, and we can live like that. And there's there's a and kind of an orphan mentality that makes us think that there's no one that's out there for us. So we have to hoard and manipulate and beg borrow steal and keep for ourselves otherwise we will be in want but if we know him as our source then and he is a good good father who is our provider and our protector means that we can be absolutely generous because we know who's providing for us and so when you think of everything in common that's kind of on the possessions way of things but i think it was they were in it talked about them being in one mind 3,000 people and if you think these were the Jews that had come for Passover that had stuck around all together and the Jews were spread the diaspora were around all of the Roman Empire and all over the place from years of um, exiles and 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 whatnot so they have different language have different culture they had some kind of Jewish traditions that in in common but here they were like if you think when Peter spoke Everyone heard them, heard him speak in their own language. So they were coming with different languages. But yet, at this point, a few months on from that, they have everything in common. They're all of one mind. That's, the, that's a miraculous work of God. I don't have a reference point in my life for the people that I'm with to have everything in common. But wouldn't it be amazing if we did? And I think that's on offer. I don't, I, I've not seen it yet. So the word fellowship is such a Christian word. You know, you don't, don't use it anywhere else. I've just think of my, my, my granny, bless her. So, you know, talking about having fellowship with her friends. And I just imagine like cold sandwiches and tea and maybe, I don't know. But what, what do you think is meant by this word? It's translated from the Greek word koinonia, which sounds like a much more interesting word, yeah. but maybe it's just because it's Greek, you know. Um, yeah, what do you think is meant by this the, the word fellowship? I mean, that, that word koinonia, if, if I pronounce it right, I'm not an expert on any of these things, but it, it talks about participation. It talks about a share in something um, and a... Uh, a joint contribution so uh, there's a I mean you can have shares in a company that you you've got a sense of ownership of it you've you've got a piece of the puzzle and so the idea of coming together in fellowship is I'm 
is not just a social interaction, but I belong or or this I'm helping hold something up here. Um, so it's there was something that caused these guys to come together, which just it, it, it was so difficult to understand, but there was a deep connection between them that that caused them to act very different to the culture around them. Cool. So kind of following on from that, what you're you're talking about, could you talk to me about Paul and the Macedonians' uh, generosity towards him? What's the story there? So one of the impressive things that Paul did during his ministry was on the hearing about um, the... the a prophecy about the coming famine that was going to be experienced in Judea. He he saw this was a good opportunity to com- to unify the church. So you've you had the the Jewish Christians in Judea, Jerusalem, and and then you had really what Paul was doing, which is the ministry to the to the to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, and so there was always going to be a a slight difference between how the church grew but he didn't he was determined to make sure this didn't become a a split between jewish christians and gentile christians but there would be one one church one uh, one body of christ and so he thought well what an opportunity for the greeks to invest back into where the, the church started by raising a fund um, to support the those, those in famine, and so all the churches that he was planting, he was saying, "Look, guys, you got an opportunity to support the people back in and um, Judea and support the the mission that that I'm on." And Paul was absolutely gobsmacked, smacked about what the um, Macedonians were were able to do, and he said, "Um." Uh, so it's out of their extreme poverty, um, they were able to give. Um, uh, it says they were able to give. They gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own. They urgently plead with us for the privilege of sharing, and that word sharing is that word koinia, um, fellowship, the privilege of fellowship. In this service to the Lord's people, so Paul is gobsmacked. Like, how have they managed to raise this money? I've seen the poverty that they're in, but they were saying, "Let us be part of this. We've got a share in this. We've got to, got an ownership of it. We want the privilege to be part of this expression. We want to play our part in it. Effectively, don't leave us out because we're poor." And that's that's a really tough thing at times of letting people give what it doesn't look like they've got but realizing that when god does something in us he puts something in us that makes us want to participate give of what we what we can do and he just saw a a grace and a a god-given ability amongst the macedonians to give and they gave so cheerfully as well so this this true fellowship this sharing this this koinonia that what is it that would cause people to live this way it feels like 
an incredibly high standard for us to meet. So what? How how can I how can I be like this person? I don't think we can. Um, I think it's a miracle of what God does in us when we come into relationship with Him. When we recognise Jesus Lord, we are empowered by His Spirit. It's it's all. If you think of an illustration of of dropping Mentos into a bottle of Coke, you see the the reaction shoots the 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 fizz out of the bottle and it's we can't produce that out of ourselves god drops something into us his grace into us that causes this to to come out of us and it's looking for the spirit to do what only the spirit can do if it's not about me trying harder um but by the by the miraculous work of god learning to collaborate with with that compulsion so you tell a story in your article um from jerry cook the author of the book love acceptance and forgiveness if possible could you share that story with us or the highlights it's a it's a great book and this particular bit he's explaining jerry cook's explaining that for everyone that's new into the church he almost has like a a, a repeated phrase that he takes people through so it's uh here look them in the, in the eyes and say brother i want you to know that i'm committed to you you'll never knowingly suffer at my hands i'll never say or do anything knowingly to hurt you i'll always in every circumstance seek to help and support you if you're down and i can lift you up i'll do that anything i have that you need i'll share with you and if need be i'll give to you no matter what i find out about you and no matter what happens in the future either good or bad my commitment to you will never change and there's nothing you can do about it you don't have to respond i love you and that's what it means now one day someone from his church came up to him and said do you remember that promise that you made me and was able to repeat it word for word well i've got a confession to make and he proceeds to tell a cook of the most dreadful things that he's done and cook is listening to this whilst remembering the promise that he's made and he's angry and uh, the guy has absolutely damaged his witness and then it it dawns on him when this guy stops talking i'm gonna have to respond to him and the reality hit him i don't think i can live up to my the promise that i've made I don't think I can treat him the same anymore. I don't think I can love him now. And it was at that point of desperation that the, the Holy Spirit met with Jerry Cook. And it was like the Mentos being dropped on the inside. Suddenly a compassion for this guy just welled up from within him. And when the guy stopped talking, he said, man, you have left no stone unturned. There's nothing more that you could have said that would make me any more want to despise you. But let me tell you this, because God loves you and he's put his love inside me for you, I can embrace you as a brother and affirm my commitment to you. 
obviously the guy just broke down and wept because he heard the love of God coming through Jerry at that time. Wow, what a powerful story. So if I want to be a friend to people as God would have me to be, what would I expect to see or, you know, think or feel within myself? Um, I mean, love has to be expressed. It has to find actions. So um, the idea of uh, serving someone, particularly serving in needs, being close enough to someone, knowing what their needs are, being able to predict pressure points that person is going to be facing and um, and be able to to express love in, in relevant ways. Um, being willing to give of yourself. Um, let someone into your life as well as being willing to, to go into theirs. Um, being honest and upfront, not saying things about people behind their backs, but bringing it to them. Um, giving people time. Um, having fun together. Um, bringing a sense of in- encouragement to someone. Uh, speaking about not just who they are today, but who you believe God's called them to be. Um, remembering things that someone's facing and so people's going through. Uh, Bible talks about weeping with those that are weeping, rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Sometimes you go from one conversation where you've wept to another conversation with someone else where you're rejoicing and being able to, by the grace of God, flow and be relevant with the, to those people at that time. Considering your success, my success, and your failure, my failure. Um, it's really a, a, a giving of yourself that is empowered by the Spirit. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really good hearing that, those things that you're just talking about, particularly after, yeah, just going through that thing of, I can't do this, you know, that's not a standard that I can will myself to meet, but thank God that... <laughs> he can he can place that in me okay my final question so in 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 our world today we're living in a particularly individualistic society um where you know everything is set up perfectly for us to operate just as fine as we could as as individuals um and what you're talking about is really going against that culture that that real costly genuine friendship um yeah and it's going against that culture by putting such an emphasis on friendship could a situation develop however of us ending up idolizing this idea of friendship yeah i i think of friendship as having a purpose and somewhat a contradiction but i think friendship is indispensable and also friendship is dispensable and so when I'm talking about friendship being indispensable I'm talking about the fact that God expresses himself in father son and spirit he's in community he's in friendship and then we are created in his image so we would expect to be able to show him in the way that we relate and if you think jesus said that the world will know you you're my disciples if you love each other so we have to have people to express love to you've got to have friendships 
in in that way. And when you're in such an individual individual individualistic western society where you've got your ipads and your iphone and your ipods i mean you don't even have when i was a kid you'd have an argument over what you watched in in the living room on tv now no one argues anymore because everyone's watching on their phones in their separate rooms and there's not a platform to even have to work things through together and so then the idea of actually being put in a situation where you're with people that you disagree with or you find annoying or obnoxious it's actually really hard work and like you can't just purge all your facebook contacts to make sure that you've only got people that agree with you when god calls us to be in communion in in unity and i find that there's a there's a tax collector amongst us. I, that's, that's a real demand on me, which I can't fulfill, but by the grace of God, I can do. And so friendship is actually critical because iron sharpens iron. Um, we're never designed to be, to be an island. And C.S. Lewis, in his book on the four loves, has a fantastic chapter on friendship. And he describes um, the necessity of community to really discover anyone. So um, there's a bit here that he says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. And he's talking about one of the, so there was three friends. One of them was, was Charles. One of them was Ronald and the other one was, was C.S. Lewis, but Charles died. He said, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Far from having more of Ronald, Having him to myself now, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend not less, but more as the number of those with whom we share him increases. Now, I need... So he's saying we need multiple people to draw out one person's personality. How much more so do you need that to discover who God is? I need your experiences of God. I need someone else's um, revelation. I can't get a full grasp of who he is without sharing that with you. And if I, my desire to discover God, I've got to be in friendships and community for that. But it's friendship for a purpose. So... At some points, we've got to recognize that some friendships don't serve that purpose and therefore they are dispensable. Um, C.S. Lewis again talks about the idea of friendship. First, you first hear friendship when two people, well, one person says, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. The very condition of friendship is that we have something more than just friendship and so we've got to connect around a subject if if i just want friendship for friendship's sake 
there's nothing for the friendship to to be about. So I kind of see it almost like friendship happens, biblical friendship happens when we're both on a viewing platform looking at something more incredible than ourselves. And it's almost like I'm there witnessing something incredible. You're there witnessing something incredible. And I and almost I blurt out loud, wow, this is incredible. And you say, wow, can you see it too? Our witnessing of who God is becomes the subject around which our friendship is formed. Our friendship is about something more than just us. And so when that isn't the central basis, the Bible does talk about how can two people walk together unless they agree. If, if God's of no interest to you and discovering God of no interest to you, there is a it will reduce the possibility for the depth of friendship. And at times, we've got to come back to, if Christ is the prize that we're going after, some, sometimes other things that are good things, they can't become the ultimate thing if Christ is the ultimate thing. So Jesus talks about, um, is, is not life more than... And he was talking about food or he's talking about clothes. But you can say the same thing. Is not life more than a nice career, a good house, 2.4 kids, f- nice, comfortable friendships? Yeah, li- life is more than all those things. It's about the prize, about seeing him, living in him. But when you discover others that want the same thing, my goodness, what friendship we can truly have together, what adventure we can go on together, what koinonia we can have together. Um, And so we're on a journey and you can can have a fellow traveler if you're going on the same journey. Amazing. All right, cool. Well, we will bring this episode to a close there. Thank you very much. And we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to this eight episode podcast exploring how to make a healthy transition to the next generation as a church whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We invite you to listen to the full series, but also to get in touch if you have questions so that iron can sharpen iron as we bring our collective wisdom together. Our contact details can be found in the show notes. For further teaching, do tap into the Lifeline Church Sunday Teaching Podcast and watch out for our conversational podcast on questions arising from the Book of Kings due to be released in July 2023.